This is All India Radio. In the weekly program Current Affairs, we now bring you a discussion on India-Portugal bilateral relations. The participants are Ashok Sajjanha, former diplomat, and Professor Sheetal Sharma from the Jawaharlal Nehru University, and Indrani Bakche, journalist, who initiates and moderates the discussion. Good evening. We will discuss the visit of the President of Portugal. It's an interesting visit because the President follows close on the heels of the Prime Minister of Portugal, who was here not very long ago. Today he met the President, the Prime Minister, and the two governments exchanged a number of uh, MOUs and uh, other agreements. So uh, to talk about India-Portugal relations, India-Europe relations, the President of Portugal's visit is interesting because not only is Portugal going to take on the presidency of the EU in 2021, India is paying a lot of attention to Portugal recently. The Portuguese Prime Minister was here with a number of agreements, etc. The Portuguese President is here today and uh, I see we've got uh, a number of uh, agreements uh, been signed from a National Maritime Museum to uh, food safety, audiovisual co-production, uh, diplomatic institutes and foreign service institutes, uh, maritime transport and port development, mobility and startups. So may I start with you, Ambassador Sajanhar. To what do you attribute this, uh, what I would say is a sudden intensity, intensification of relations between India and Portugal? Okay, let me put it this way. I think uh, relations between India and all countries of Europe have been uh, getting more uh, revitalized or rejuvenated or becoming more dynamic over the last uh, several years. And uh, if we see, as you have mentioned yourself, the trajectory of relations between India and Portugal, particularly because uh, we saw the visit of uh, the, Prime, the Minister. Uh, Prime Minister, Portuguese Prime Minister Costa here in December, and now within about two months we have the visit of the President also. Yes. And uh, before that, if we also go back uh, a little bit, we had the visit of uh, the same uh, Prime Minister in 2015, just after he was elected. Mm. And uh, then uh, this was uh, followed, that was in 2017. Mm. He was elected in 2015, and 2017, January, he came. And this was followed immediately by the visit of our Prime Minister. Right. And that also, we were able to get a large number of uh, agreements uh, signed and uh, widen the relationship and deepen our partnership. So I think uh, we have uh, not been paying uh, much attention to the specific, to the different countries in Europe. But, you know, if I could uh, mention, let us say, even as far as the Scandinavian countries are concerned, you know, there is uh, the meeting that took place between all the five countries, the, the heads of countries, the Nordic yeah. countries in Sweden, Sweden in 2017 when Prime Minister Modi went there. And also, I think the other countries... Uh, but let's um, go back to the European relationship later. Professor Sharma, do you think uh, there is a larger design behind the new interests that we see between India and Portugal? And Rani, I would put it in a different perspective that we can understand uh, the implications of the recent visits in two senses. One is a kind of historical relationship that India and Portugal had uh, for a long period of time during the colonial era. And Portuguese were the colonizers who stayed in India for maximum amount of time, sure. almost four and a half centuries. And uh, later on, taking Goa back into India's fold within the Union, and then a renewed interest in India. 
Now, as Ambassador Saab had recently mentioned, you know, that um, the kind of relationship that we have with European Union countries, one is that uh, we tend to focus more on the big countries in the European Union, Germany, France and UK like that, although, of course, UK out of Union now. However, the smaller countries equally need a kind of attention because they are a specialist in some different domains where India has a capacity to tap onto the potential that these countries have. It is not necessary that you go by the size of the country or by the population. However, uh, seeing many of the programs, the flagship programs of the current government, we have to identify various channels through which we can actually have a very fruitful relationship even with the smaller countries. Now, particularly with Portugal, as uh, the President has uh, announced that when they are going to take over in the first semester of 2021, the Presidency of the Council, so they are going to different, uh, infusing a different energy into India-EU relations. So it's not just the bilateral which he is eyeing, he is also talking about the multilateral fora on which India is engaging with the European Union. And post-Brexit, it is going to have a different color and shade. Because Brexit is going to make things little different, if not difficult for UK as well and for the European Union. So how does uh, Brexit impact India-EU relations? I have heard people saying that it would actually be a good thing post-Brexit because the UK occupied so much of Indian mind space in its relationship with the EU. In many ways, the UK was um, sort of had a veto on the quality of relationship between India and the EU. In your view, how does that change between in the post-Brexit uh, era? Indrani, it is uh, possibly correct to say that, uh, you know, the, our ma maximum engagement, not uh, maybe politically, but definitely economically and investment trade-wise, I think it was uh, the highest as far as the European Union, the rest of the countries are concerned, it was with Britain. Because uh, the investment that we had in Britain was uh, more than the investment of Indian companies in all the other countries put together. And also in terms of trade, Britain was always seen as a gateway by Indian companies for access uh, to Europe. So in that sense, I think whether it is culturally, whether it is linguistically or otherwise, our companies and our people, whether also in terms of education, in terms of students, in terms of people-to-people uh, -people contacts, in terms of tourism, I think it was much higher as far as Britain is concerned than uh, even uh, some of the bigger countries are mm. concerned. Now, once uh, Britain goes out of the European Union, that means we have to find some avenues as to how we can sort of you know, access Europe. And uh, different countries have been placing themselves as, uh, you know, that they could proved to be the gateway to Europe as far as India is concerned because India has a very considerable, very significant, not only political and strategic, but definitely economic and uh, commercial interests. So in that sense, Portugal will also has also said that we could be a very good uh, gateway as far as uh, Europe is concerned. And, uh, you know, the new prime minister, well, not new, he was elected in 2015. He's just been elected for the second term, Antonio Costa. Mm. He is uh, an Indian origin, you know, one of the only Western uh, Indian origin heads of uh, government. And he's very proud of that. You know, there are some who would not like to, uh, without mentioning names, who would not like to flaunt their uh, Indian uh, heritage 
But uh, Mr. Costa is uh, very proud of that when he had come here in 2017. In addition to all his programs, whether it was, you know, as the chief guest of Pravasi Bharti Devas, Vibrant Gujarat, he went to Goa. This time also he goes to Goa and even the president goes back to Goa. So I think this is a country which is uh, very uh, proud of its uh, relationship spanning over about uh, 500 years. Agreed, I think everyone recognizes that between 1955 to 1974, there was a break in their diplomatic relations. But I think uh, Portugal is also trying to position itself and it sees that there is some sort of complementarity between India and uh, Portugal and it could offer itself. And it has been sort of, you know, functioning that way. It has been in terms of closer relations between India and Europe, multilateral, etc. It has always been trying to support India's uh, agenda. When uh, Prime Minister Costa was here in December, I asked him about India and Portugal being a kind of a bridge, as a bridge power between India and the Portuguese-speaking world. And this was just before the Brazilian president was coming for Republic Day uh, as well as... uh, So, in fact, he was actually quite enthusiastic about this and he said that Portugal is actually looking to be that bridge um, you know, there is Angola, there is uh, Brazil. Is that something that uh, you have seen? Is that something that you believe might work? Uh, and Rani, once again, the new world, what we called as the new world, the global south, half of it was colonized by Portugal uh, for a long period of time. And almost eight to nine countries have their official language as Portuguese. Mm-hmm. So one way to think is that, yes, they can connect us to the Portuguese, uh, you know, former colonies and particularly the Latin American part of it. Now, two things. One is, uh, I'll go back to the previous question in the sense that post-Brexit, number one, the India-EU statistics is going to get affected. So... It's not just India who has to look for how to connect with EU. It's also EU which has to look for various ways to connect to India now post-Brexit because uh, various ways and various uh, sectors require greater intervention or greater engagement with India. Number two, for a long period of time, our diplomacy, when we compare to the regions in the world, particularly we having maximum with, uh, say, US post-fall of Berlin Wall, and then later on with some of the important countries in the European Union, not Union as the bloc. Because Union somewhere has sidelined the bilateral relations with the uh, major countries in the European Union. Then, of course, South Asia and the Middle East and all this. Somewhere in the scheme of things in IR particularly, in our diplomatic relations, South America has not gained that much of prominence. And there is a lot of scope for us to engage with the similar kind of developmental status and uh, various other parameters in which we can equate or stand as share a platform with these countries. So, yes, Portugal can actually happen to be one of the important bridge that links us to number of Latin American countries. And uh, sometimes we say that BRICS, it's quite discreet in the sense that half of it is in the Asian continent and how come Brazil comes into figure and uh, success or failure of BRICS. However, uh, that does not matter that how regionally disparate the entities are located. Yes, we need to connect to the regions which have not been on our radar for a long period of time. You spoke about India and Europe, and I see that we have a spate of visits coming up. I mean, the foreign minister will be in uh, Brussels uh, next week. I think he's there on the 17th. 
and uh, not just a series of meetings there but it was a preparation for the prime minister's visit to for the India EU summit which is on the 13th of March and uh, what strikes me as interesting is that at least since this government has come back to power in the last 6 8 to 8 months i think we have seen a number of visits by the foreign minister to european capitals whether it is brussels whether it is serbia whether it is finland so is there a change in india's approach to the eu indrani i will not limit myself only to the 6 or 8 months that this government has come back to power i think if you were to look back what was happening earlier and again i will not limit it only to what the external affairs minister has been doing or the prime minister has been doing i will also include the president and the vice president mm-hmm. and if you look at these four senior uh, functionaries of the indian uh, government and how they have been reaching out to even the smaller countries you name a country and it has not been missed out by you know one of these uh, leaders they have gone there and i think they have visited whether it is serbia it is croatia it is cyprus you name it and that has been covered and of course it doesn't uh, limit itself only to europe it is also to africa it's also to other countries so the outreach that this government has been undertaking two countries which have never been visited in the past you know mongolia the prime minister visited he is the only indian prime minister to have visited mongolia if you take fiji and asia pacific countries after 33 years a prime minister the point that i'm making is that europe also was to a very significant extent neglected exactly what professor sheetal sharma said that uh, you know many of the smaller countries but i think when the prime minister had come to power he had said your size does not matter we have to reach out to all the countries after all when we are talking about india's uh, leadership role in global affairs then all these countries uh, account for one vote in the united nations uh, general assembly so if we have to take our agenda forward we will need all of them coming back to what you started with this visit of the prime minister next month to brussels i think it's going to be a very important one and we are going to now start looking at the eu india btia the bilateral trade and investment agreement which we started in 2007 and 13 years later we are still nowhere near conclusion i think that will be an important issue that we will really need to look at and take forward just wanted to go back to india europe again and in the last 6 months we have had on the one hand we have seen an intensification of interest or outreach by the indian government and even by the european on the other hand we've also seen the europeans being fairly critical of the in of india's recent moves inside india whether it is jammu and kashmir and the dilution of article 370 whether it is the citizenship amendment act and we have seen two things we have seen countries and leaders taking openly critical view against on india's uh, actions we have also seen some degree of understanding among some of the members and i would attribute that largely to the diplomatic initiatives that have been taken for instance european parliament almost had debated and passed a resolution on both the cwa and uh, 370 in the very recent past it took uh, some of india's friends 
to actually push back india's ambassadors to push back and to uh, to stop that from happening that vote by the way is scheduled for the 31st of march after the prime minister comes and goes this is not obviously a, a linear progression in relations between india and eu we will run into criticism on human rights on all of these issues uh, how do you think we should be looking at it and how do you think we are tackling it in sunny there are two particular uh, things that we'll try to bring out particularly in this relationship which is ha- or in the events which have happened in the last one year one is scrapping of c70 and the other one is caa now what our diplomatic channels did are the homework the kind of work that they had to do the background work was very good in terms of article 370 because the international narrative was in our favor you look at how china was trying to push it in un general assembly and other places and at the same time pakistan was making a hue and cry of this but then nobody paid attention and this was in our favor the second issue was somehow there was a weak work done regarding the caa in which the factor was not that we could not do our homework but it involved something which was more than just the territorial sovereignty of india and a territory involved this was the question of the particular community muslims or islam question coming into debate so what happened at that point of time the entire islamic world got gravitated towards one end and at the same time the other because the narrative which was presented to the global community was not a clear cut narrative in which india somehow faced a kind of backlash from some of the countries european union being a normative actor in some of the areas where it tries to cherish and push forward certain global values universal values individuality freedom minority rights and all these things at that point of time it was to certain extent critical of the fact however the visit of parliamentarians from the eu made it very clear during the scrapping of 370 and at the same time i think it's yesterday only that the once again the community has gone and many of the parliamentarians from the european union parliament those who have gone and they have said that the situation has come back to normal this is actually just the ambassador ambassador uh, who went from here yes and uh, the second issue is that about the caa although of course there was some mishandling of the issue now it has come to a certain level of stability and balance at the same time i think uh, in the next couple of months indian government really needs to have this kind of engagement with the international community where it identifies although of course we have not been able to even sort out many of the differences which are at the domestic level so what to talk about at the international level but there the opposite parties at the international level the islamic world is certainly going to push in the opposite direction however we have to make our concerted effort to settle the dust whatever is hanging in the air i think uh, that remains a lot of sort of work in progress Mr. Sajjan, have you spoke about uh, the India-Nordic summit and the Prime Minister meeting the Nordic countries? So we believe that the Prime Minister will probably have a similar summit uh, with the Visegrad countries, which are for our readers: they are Poland, Czech Republic, Slovakia, Slovakia and, and Hungary. Hungary. So I think the Prime Minister is probably going to do a, a sort of Nordic summit style. summit with these four countries when he is in Europe next month the policy of engaging all varieties of european countries whether it is portugal whether it is uh, serbia where the foreign minister was there whether it's cyprus uh, now uh, whether it is these visegrad countries what do you think are the would be the driving interests of india with such smaller countries who we haven't actually engaged with earlier if you permit uh, indrani i'll just uh, make one comment on your earlier question yes which is on the european parliament this is not a new aspect in terms of our relations with the european parliament mm. 
I used to be in Brussels many, many years ago, decade ago, and we had similar problems with the European Parliament because there the issue of Kashmir always used to come up. And here, because of these issues, it is coming up. For the last few years, we have been able to bring it uh, under control. So this will continue to happen. That I don't think it is only the Islamic countries. You know, actually, from Islamic countries, there are not very many who have spoken out against India as far as either Kashmir or the uh, Citizenship Amendment Act. It is basically certain elements within the European Parliament, particularly from the United Kingdom, who have been raising these issues and they have been able to get these people together. And I think now that the UK is out of EU and also membership of the European Parliament, I think we might have a smoother sailing as far as uh, the European Parliament is concerned. I don't think we should take uh, the discussions in European Parliament Likely because ultimately, you know, they might, as has been mentioned, that they are quite independent and so on and so forth. You know, when these discussions were taking place, some of them had said, and whatever they say doesn't make a difference. I don't think that is true. I don't think that is correct. We need to be mindful and we need to reach out to them and cultivate them. On the issue of V4, as you mentioned, the Vitsagrat four countries, I think there are so many possibilities that we have opportunities that we have with smaller group of countries. Mm -hmm. And because we are dealing with EU at the level of 27-28, we are really not able to put, you know, in that context, uh, full attention and focus on these countries. Same was the case as far as Nordics is concerned, mm -hmm. when, you know, Prime Minister went to mm -hmm. Stockholm and he invited all the four Prime Ministers of the other countries also there. Meaning the only other time that this uh, format had been used was uh, when Barack Obama, Barack Obama had met them. And then he also invited them, all the five leaders, to White House. Right. Hopefully the Nordic uh, Prime Ministers, heads of state, government will come here also. But Vitsigrad also, we have, you know, whether it is Czech, Czech Republic, Slovak, uh, Hungary, all of them, Poland, all of them have uh, strong economies. I think uh, when the economies of uh, some of the Western European countries might not be doing all that well, mm. economies of these countries are doing well. They have niche technologies. They are very in their own areas, in their own fields, and they provide us with excellent markets. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think there is very well thought out uh, vision and plan to reach out to these countries because uh, we have, uh, in addition to the political and strategic interests that they would serve stronger relations between India and these countries. I think both economically in terms of investment and they are also very keen to engage uh, in a much uh, stronger way with India because India large market, $3 trillion economy growing at a rapid pace. So I think there is a mutuality of interest on both sides mm -hmm. to have stronger relations with each other. We are hoping to renew or rejuvenate the India-EU BTI. We haven't made much progress. And uh, I know that after India walked out of the RCEP negotiations at the last minute, one of the things that they said was that they would revive negotiations with the EU. Now, the thing is, the situation hasn't changed. India remains as wary of uh, foreign trade as ever. So why are we pursuing the BTIA? It's not exactly walking out of step. In fact, India has some time and uh, the other member states were also saying that they would give India some amount of time. 
in fact uh, it is a kind of uh, the dynamics that's happening at the global level and the domestic level we had to cater to some of the domestic needs and inward looking the foreign trade agreement with eu has been hanging for a long period of times now almost 14 years 2007 it 2000, 2013 was the last time yeah. we met. we met and, and there are now a couple of issues which have been causing a kind of bottleneck in the sense that we have not been able to come on to the agreement we don't see the trade agreement getting finalized very soon but at the same time in order to remain within the global community you know uh, we just can't have a kind of image also that shows the global community that india is not ready for many of the negotiations or there's too much of inward looking because one we are a big market we really need uh, investment coming from not just big countries even from the smaller countries so for instance if we talk about portugal particularly there is lot of sun and they have 100% electrification and uh, the renewable energy particularly in some of the months during the entire year they are absolutely using renewable energy and they tend to fit very well within the grant uh, programs that india has for energy security for uh, e retailing and many other areas in which we can have their expertise guiding us and at the same time our industries and our uh, expertise guiding them so india needs to balance between both the things so one is a image at the global level at the same time looking for its own interest then catering to the domestic politics at the same time remaining part of the global community so the balancing act makes us sometimes delay certain negotiations at the same time push forward at the multilateral levels also at the bilateral levels also ambassador would you like to weigh in as far as rcep is concerned i would say you know meaning it's not only that india has more time but i think the other countries also have a little more time to reflect upon as to uh, whether it would make sense for rcep to come into force without uh, india in it so i think both of us have to really give it a thought and see how we move forward i would not go so far indrani as you said that india is against foreign trade i don't think uh, that would be a very accurate statement because it is right that all the ftas that we have signed so far all of them have resulted in much greater increase in imports and very insignificant increase in our exports so our trade deficit with all the countries particularly as far as rcep 15 nations of rcep is concerned it is more than 105 billion dollars which accounts for about 65% of our total global trade deficit coming to the btia you know i think the exit of britain in a manner of speaking might prove to be helpful because one of the issues that we were talking about was the services yeah with the movement people. of professionals yes britain was particularly against you know not only as far as uh, uh, out of europe but even within europe you know there are people who are coming from poland and uh, serbia etc and uh, they were uh, very uh, apprehensive anxious because they thought that they were taking away their jobs and uh, so that was proving to be an Uh, sort of an insurmountable obstacle and a bottleneck so with britain out of it maybe you know now we'll have to really look at issues like uh, alcoholic beverages from france and automotive vehicles and components from germany and other places maybe it might be easier to come to some sort of an agreement because i think both sides because uh, europeans have also been very disappointed they had huge expectations 
from a transatlantic uh, partnership. partnership. Yes, which was not with Mr. Trump coming in. That you know that has really been off the table completely. So they are also looking at uh, some things. They have been going out, whether it is with France or Korea or something. But I think India is a good in terms of purchasing power parity, the third largest economy. So I think it would be interesting for them also. So you touched upon the U.S. relationship. One of the aspects of the India-Europe relationship is also provide a counter to the kind of moves that we see China making in Europe. And it is not merely with the large countries. It is not merely on the 5G issue. It is also on the 16 plus 1 outreach that China has been doing. It is part of the Belt and Road Initiative, which a lot of which ends up in Europe. China has befriended countries like Hungary, a number of the Eastern and Central European states. Uh, to the extent that uh, they are raising questions in Europe, uh, just in and of it, of itself uh, of the relationship with China, but also affecting their relationship with the U.S. The romance that 16 plus 1 has at one point of time is breaking down, certainly because uh, the Central and Eastern European countries have identified that it's not as good as they had perceived it to be. Yes, India has to do a balancing act. At the same time, it's not just India. It's the U.S. narrative also of rise of China, which has to do a balancing act and somehow clip the wings this side because of the fears of rise of China. So many of the things on the global chessboard are determined by the regional, at the same time, the global narratives which are there about the rising powers and the threat that these powers can pose. With those words, thank you very much. You were listening to a discussion on India-Portugal bilateral relations. The participants were Ashok Sajjanhar, former diplomat, and Professor Sheetal Sharma from the Jawaharlal Nehru University, and Indrani Bhakti, journalist, initiated and moderated the discussion. This program was produced and presented by the News Services Division of All India Radio. You can also listen to this program on our website, newsonair.com. You can also follow us on the News on AIR app for updates. You may email your opinion about this program at airnsdtalks at gmail.com.